Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast which was set up to raise awareness of mental health not only within the UK but around the world and to also tackle the stigma of mental health also. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Stephanie who is a author, activist and the founder of Children of Mentally Ill Parents NGO. Hi, Stephanie. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me. No problem. You're very welcome. So, first of all, just for the listeners, would you be able to outline a bit of your background and also the reason that you became a mental health advocate? Yeah, sure. Um... I decided to become a mental health advocate uh, because I I experienced uh, as a a, chi- a child and adolescent um, being the daughter of parents who during the course of their lives experienced mental health problems and uh, I saw clearly how the stigma and the lack of informations of prevention of uh, proper treatment proper support impacted heavily and huge hugely on our lives um, and so uh, in one of the worst moments of my teenager's life um, I really felt very desperate and isolated and lonely uh, uh, and I thought to myself well, I will survive because one day I will use this experience to help others yeah. and prevent them from feeling like I am feeling today. And this has been a force that still drives me uh, nowadays in doing what I'm doing. My background is mainly uh, I studied communication sciences. I'm very mm-hmm. passionate about communication in all of its forms. So I love blogging, writing. Uh, I used to to make podcasts myself some year ago, some well. years ago. <laughs> and I tried to be to become a script writer uh, wow. because I wanted to turn my story into a universal message to reach uh, lots of people's people around the world. But yeah. uh, being a young caregiver and this also uh, spans also in the adult life, uh, impacted also on the fulfilling of my potential. So unfortunately, I didn't manage to do that. But life is still long. So who knows? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. in terms of the NGO that you created, just tell us um, what work the NGO does. Yes, uh, the NGO COMIP, uh, Children of Mentally Ill Parents, uh, is the first one in Italy uh, entirely created by daughters and sons who have parents suffering from mental ill health. And this became um, an achievement uh, coming from uh, seven years of previous experience I had uh, as an activist. Uh, and uh, I noticed uh, that there are lots of wonderful NGOs and made by um, professionals or made by people suffering from mental illness of family members. But uh, the topic of being uh, a daughter or a son is uh, 
completely different uh, and needed uh, um, an own structure and channel uh, to raise our voice because sometimes unfortunately unfortunately uh, stigma does not only affect uh, mental health but also um, children and and daughters and sons it's a, a, another tab taboo that we need to yeah. tackle uh, and also because uh, a child or an adolescent rare, rarely knows what's happening rarely has the words uh, to speak about it unless we as adults create a space environment and words and share stories yeah. uh, uh, to to, to, to make this possible. Otherwise, we, we are forgotten children. Um, and also this NGO I co-created with other daughters and sons I met um, on the internet because uh, everything started <laughs> through internet. Um, in 2010, um, internet and the languages I knew uh, because my parents uh, taught me languages and the love for other countries. Uh, this saved me because I was lonely in uh, experiencing the relapses of my parents' illnesses. Uh, and I was searching for information about how to help them. But I found for the first time in my life, the stories of daughters and sons <laughs> who had experienced what I had experienced. And it was uh, um, uh, an, an eye-opening moment for me, very um, a life change event. Uh, and so I decided to do the same in my language, in my local language, to see if there were other others in my own country that needed like I had needed a space to know that, that they were not alone and that what they were feeling had a name and an explanation. <laughs> so yeah. from there, seven years of, uh, um, of knowing other daughters and sons in Canada, in the yeah. United States, in Australia, Australia, and together with them, they were my, my mentors. <laughs> uh, and so from them, I learned how to become an active change agent. So instead of being a victim, I turned this into positive characteristics that I saw in them and then also in me, thanks to them. And, and there, uh, the first peer support community on Facebook was created in Italy for others like me. Wow. And afterwards, two people from this group helped me create uh, the NGO. Uh, it's still a journey that um, has a lot of challenges, yeah. but uh, it's um, amazing to see how even being so small, we can make such a huge impact on the world and also in uh, other countries. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think one of the key messages to come out of that is to make people aware that they are not alone in this and that there are other people that have gone through similar things and it, it's only when you get a group like you and others have set up that allows people to actually realize well hang on a minute it's not just me that's going through this there are other children going through this and I imagine it's good for sons and daughters to talk to people who have a shared experience. Yes, it's um, something like uh, having someone who can 
get you um, yeah. because there are some some common um, common beliefs that uh, are sometimes not completely for us and it's, it, it's difficult to 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 receive empathy yeah. uh, when you speak about certain things because because people have no idea or have ideas that are conveyed by portrayals by the cinema or other stories that are not completely the reality that <laughs> we yeah. experienced so sometimes you even if you try to open up to people if they have no idea what you have gone through sometimes they cannot understand so it's frustrating <laughs> yes. so sometimes speaking with people having the same experience can be helpful uh, yeah. but also what we noticed is that no story of daughter or son is the same as other stories of daughters and sons we are completely yeah. um a complicated patchwork of stories uh, because someone like me experienced also love from their family despite the illness there are others who unfortunately couldn't because the mental health problems complicated also um, the, the relationship between parents and daughters and sons and sometimes unfortunately there's also been trauma severe abuse and so it's very important uh, not to blame parents because they didn't choose their yeah. illness but also to give space for ex expressing what it me meant to 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 have grown up in in context family context where there has been also this type of situations so it's really delicate but it's important yeah. to, to do that yeah absolutely and i i also think that if you flip that on its head and you've got a son or daughter who's got a mental health problem and the parents are trying to figure it out perhaps a group would be ideal for parents to discuss their shared experiences as well so you're essentially obviously supporting sons and daughters who have parents that have a mental illness but you could flip that and say that if you've got a parent who has a son or daughter with a mental illness they also need a, a similar group to what you founded for children in order for them to also feel that they're not alone and that they can also share their lived experiences as well because that way you're essentially going to tackle the stigma and normalize the conversation even more but what are your thoughts on that yeah actually the the fact that i created this ngo specifically for daughters and sons is that there are already uh, lots of associations uh, run by adults who have sons and daughters with mental health problems okay. because the fact is that they are adults and have the means uh, in time and energy and possibilities also economically um, to 
create uh, such organizations which are very yeah. energy consuming and draining the fact that there's no one created especially specifically for the the opposite situation of being a, ch a young child or an yeah. adolescent is that they have no energies no, nor the means nor the skills to do so nor yeah. the possibilities legally to to create so so we as adults who have been children and adolescents felt that this step was needed because otherwise uh, we had some daughters and sons who in their cities turned out to these family organizations but say, said we couldn't find ourselves um, completely at ease because there were mainly groups of parents discussing the mental health problems of their children while yeah. we have the opposite situation and our issues are different and so uh, that's that's why uh, we engaged in trying to create uh, this but it's very energy consuming yeah. and when you have been a young carer not everybody is a young carer having parents with yeah. mental health problems but who of us has been a young carer without being aware of being one um, we uh, already gave away a lot of our time space energy and our potential because we had to step in for our parents because no yeah. one else did and this is something that as a society uh, we need to face to to look clearly to prevent that uh, young children and adolescents bear uh, a huge loads on the shoulders that they shouldn't they should be concentrated yeah. in living their own life yeah. and also they're left alone with feelings of anger fear sense of guilt uh, this is a huge huge uh, load that i myself uh, experienced and without yeah. having no one to ask for help especially when the parent uh, caused uh, due to the illness is not aware of being in need of help and refuses to be supported for the illness and you uh, risk to, to face um, very heavy traumas like suicidal attempts by your parent and you are the only one there providing for yeah. help and this is scary and this is something yeah. that the children and adolescents and also their parents shouldn't live uh, in their own and I can assure that uh, I believe that I was the only one and only by reading this uh, forum in other languages in other countries I discovered that I wasn't <laughs> the only one this is crazy because we are mi millions billions of people in the world but yeah. the taboo is so huge that you think you're the only one and so this is why we are shedding light on this uh, to to create um, more understanding for everyone not just us who have this in our families because mental health is owned by everyone yeah. <laughs> so learning how to, to 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 protect our mental health like we do with our physical health is key for 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 preventing more situations like this to happen and to go uh, from generation to generation uh, with support intervention and prevention information it's the resilience which is uh, inherited and yeah. not the illness. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what are the future plans for the NGO? Uh, at the moment, we are distributing um, a book that I wrote uh, thinking about 
what I would have needed when I was uh, a teenager. So uh, thinking about others who are now living the same situation and we are crowdfunding to distribute it uh, and donating it to all libraries, schools, uh, uh, psychiatric centers across Italy. Um, and also to make people uh, volunteers and, and bring the copies for free. We give them to these people to bring to their own city uh, and raise awareness, not only for daughters and sons, but mainly also for adults yeah. and other people like teachers who might not know that they have someone in their class and how to support them. Uh, if, if you want to know more, there's a TEDx talk uh, I yeah. made, uh, which is called When Mom or Dad Are Unwell. And I really would love uh, this talk to be spread. Uh, it has been translated in uh, 11 languages, uh, Hindi, Chinese, Arabic, because I, I firmly believe uh, that by shedding light, um, a lot of young people in the world, but also their parents, uh, can start knowing that they're not alone and find uh, their way for a better life. Uh, yeah. yeah, we spoke also about the stigma. Uh, we noticed that how also media uh, talk about mental health has a huge impact on our lives. Yeah. Um, and that's why our NGO um, started to, to, to be very um, active also in um, preventing TV from being uh, stigmatizing to our families. Um, in particular, we, we experienced something that really struck us. <laughs> it was a famous female TV presenter, um, which, who is known for being particularly sensitive to social issues. But she uh, was speaking during a TV program on the third national TV channel uh, about um, damage caused by unknown to the cars of doctors and nurses in a parking lot mm -hmm. of a hospital fighting against COVID-19. And she said, what illness can have someone who does something like this? Schizophrenia, depression, or idiot syndrome? I was watching TV and I said, no, this is this is not going to, to. I cannot let this pass without saying anything. Yeah. And so we 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 filed the claim uh, to the National Italian Authority for Communications, and we said we 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 didn't uh, like these um, these words because they are dangerous for us, for our families, for stigma, yeah. and. Um, and what, what was also very shocking is that the TV program, TV program was recorded. So <laughs> it was not live, so just a mistake. And no one in the program, working in the program, said anything. They just aired the program like that. And no one from the broadcast company noticed the problem. If we just substitute the words she used, schizophrenia and depression, with autism, or Alzheimer's disease or any other illness, yeah. I grant you that everyone would have reacted. Yeah. We were the only one as NGO who did something in regard to this. 
and no journalists, no radio, no TV published our press release concerning our claim that we sent to the Italian authority. <laughs> After several months, <laughs> the authority said we were right and sent a note to the TV program. But no one, uh, there was no debate, no debate, no public debate. And this is very shocking because you yeah. see how mental health is treated differently from other illnesses and how we need to improve uh, and strengthen our advocacy work in the mental health field. Mental health has to have the same dignity and respect as physical health. Absolutely. Um, they should be thought of as, as one rather than being distinguished as physical health, mental health, because you can't have one without the other. And healthcare should be for everyone, um, both mentally and physically. And I think COVID-19 in particular, one of the positives from COVID-19, and I use the word positive very loosely, um, is that people are now discussing more about their anxieties, their depression, their worries and concerns. And long may that continue in order to gradually, over a period of time, the stigma reduces and the conversation becomes normal, like physical health. And in, in terms of mental health within Italy, how is it perceived... Yeah, um, as I said, uh, sometimes media uh, often associate mental illnesses uh, to crime or violence when reporting the news. And sometimes um, there's a lack of information about prevention, um, how, especially for the most stigmatized illnesses, uh, like schizophrenia, because depression is something that... uh, it's been discussed and there are some informations, there are articles about prevention and well-being. But there are some illnesses who are even more stigmatized and not accepted. And, yeah. and also who are often linked, uh, even by a movie, um, to violence. And this is not the whole story. It's, um, yeah. it's very dangerous because uh, people are who have being diagnosed um, tend to hide their condition because they might have consequences on their jobs, their family, um, in all fields because of this stigma associated. Uh, And also there's uh, the kind of stories that are portrayed uh, mainly emphasize uh, people with mental health problems or caregivers or their children as victims or as heroes but both types of storytelling are harmful because yeah. uh, they extreme they make this like extremes like um, excluding the daily life and also the fact that it may happen to anyone and that um, also the stories of uh, positive outcome are missing um, and this is something that we need to to tackle uh, also sometimes i notice uh, 
but I think not only in Italy, I think worldwide, uh, there is a risk of identifying uh, with the illness. Also, people having been diagnosed sometimes tend to identify with their illness. So using the term, I am schizophrenic, I am bipolar. No, you have bipolar, you yeah. have schizophrenia, but you are a complete person with your hobbies, your passions, your relationships, your dreams, your wish. So sometimes it's also the self-stigma. This is another aspect of stigma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's something that really concerns how the how society uh, deals with the vulnerability and strength that is within every one of us. So maybe the, the key to, to eradicate stigma is to eradicate the stigma that we all have uh, towards our fragile parts. We all have those and how they are intertwined with our strength. I know that people uh, who might have invisible battles, like those with mental health problems are the most strong I know, but yeah. <laughs> we we tend to think about people with mental health problems as fragile, but fragile fragility and strength are connected and go together. And so I really think that we, we, we need to, to give this this respect to our, accept more our vulnerabilities also in our workplaces. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, we've discussed about schizophrenia being very stigmatised and the other diagnoses that have also very stigmatised would be bipolar affective disorder and personality disorder. Because whenever someone gets a diagnosis of personality disorder, they, in many ways, feel like they've been labelled and they don't like that particular label and I would imagine the same would, would be true of schizophrenia and bipolar but it was also interesting what you said about when people say I I am schizophrenic and it's making them realise that they are a person who has schizophrenic, not that they are a schizophrenic. And that's where the power of language is so important in the way that mental health is addressed and how people's awareness can be raised, which leads nicely into the next segment of the podcast in regards to what work can be done in order to reduce the stigma and normalize the conversation? Yes, um, I think that, as you said, and I agree, uh, COVID-19 is uh, making more people experience uh, periods of uh, uncertainty, yeah. fragility, um, and the fact that uh, you need to to be walking on eggshells for a long period of time, and also having all of your life uh, completely head over your heels, and yeah. you don't know what to expect, and this is very scary. Also, 
also the the stressful situation uh the fear of of being becoming ill or dying and all this economical crisis yeah. and yeah this is maybe the right time to 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 create a more um understanding uh, society but also to change um how we are living um also our work life balance um yeah. and also um i noticed that one of the issues uh when you work uh, to raise awareness about the importance of prevention and support is that we also need to work uh, on a political level uh, to raise public investments in uh, mental health because in italy only three percent per year of public money is invested in mental health services wow. which is not enough to, no. to to grant the right to well-being uh, so there are lots of people now are experiencing uh, losing their jobs and there are also a lot of young people who don't have a job yet yeah. and they might need uh, psychotherapy <laughs> but if 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 we cannot have it um, through the public mental health services and you, you don't have the money to pay it, then this is a problem. It's a yeah. huge problem. And we know how if you don't receive supporting time, this may lead to ma major problems, not only for your health, but also for your family and also your work. And so this is a moment that we really should reflect on that globally and making this change uh, a reality uh, because we can tackle stigma we can advocate but if this lacks then people are left out of the possibility to have a better life yeah. um, so maybe this is related a lot also to our way our societies are conceived economically uh, maybe Capitalism is not working enough. <laughs> we should maybe think about new ways of uh, uh, of living, and and yeah, because sometimes this this is it's. I tend to see like uh, mental health has been um, portrayed as an individual problem, but yes. we are in <laughs> in connection with a system. Uh, made by relationships, what we do for a living, and it's a system, systematic problem. So it's a social issue. It's not just the individual who is fragile, who has a problem. It's 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 something more deep than that. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes the blame, the guilt goes to the person who was not enough. This has to change. This has really to change. Yeah, I absolutely agree that there needs to be a change and there, there probably needs to be a cultural or wider society change on how mental health is viewed i mean some of the ideas that i have in terms of how to tackle the stigma and normalize the conversation would be first of all education and educating people in schools starting off in primary schools obviously age appropriate and 
raised their awareness around mental health and how powerful language can be. And then eventually when they get to be a teenager or late teens, early 20s, they will have more of an understanding of how to approach mental health and how to start conversations and be more aware and essentially be more kind. And I think that's one of the things that has come out of the COVID pandemic is that people have found their community spirit that seems to have been lost for years because people are so fixed and focused on their jobs and getting the flashy cars and the blingy watches and going on exotic holidays. Everyone's guilty of that. I'm guilty of that, but particularly with holidays because I've probably enjoyed them more than what I should and spent more money than I even had on holidays. Um, But now I think this pandemic has brought us down to a level whereby we appreciate the little things in life more often, family, friends, talking to people, being kind to your neighbours and hopefully when we come out of the pandemic that the world is more aware of their feelings and they're more aware of how to discuss them Another thing that I feel would be very helpful in terms of reducing the stigma would be the positive use of social media. Because as we all know, social media has two sides to it. It has a very good side and it has a very bad side. And I feel we need to see more of the good side from social media in terms of promoting mental health promoting well-being and perhaps have some of the influencers who have thousands of followers if not millions of followers so for instance we have Dr Alex George in the UK who's recently become a mental health ambassador and he's raised around or got an agreement in place for around 79 million pounds for youth mental health support And we need more positive messages like that. And we need more people with influence who can raise the awareness with all of their followers on social media. And then there's... Yeah, and then there's the other issue of of money. Because everyone needs more money and there, there needs to be more money put into mental health in order for the standard of care to improve in terms of community-based services because there can be ludicrous long waiting lists to receive support. And if there is more support, more money in place, then you could offer more support and perhaps improve the support that's being offered because the staff that are currently doing the job can only work with the tools they've got. And due to lack of money, the tools are starting to become blunt and they need quite a a hefty injection of cash, particularly within the mental health sector, 
in order to sharpen those tools and to reduce waiting lists to receive community support. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Stephanie? Yeah, I think that um, also it will, would be important to to include also uh, people with mental health problems and also uh, yeah. their caregivers as co-creators of the policies regarding them. Um, and so being part of the process of making uh, mental health services better uh, by being able to to participate actively and not just by a form of tokenism, yeah. but being actively involved um, to design them, um, because otherwise it's it's just something that uh, is decided from others and and not tailored to the needs to the to the to the voices and experiences of people who actively every day are faced with with these issues. Uh, and also, uh, the, would, what would be needed is also that uh, workplaces uh, should have the obligation to set standards for the respect of their employees' uh, wellness uh, in all sense, um, and so making um, workplaces less um, toxic environments. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because sometimes the social pressure, the economical pressure yeah. does not meet uh, the needs of uh, mental well-being and also this has a huge impact. And we tend to have for forgotten um, what the boundaries are because we need to do more and more and more. And also yeah. the use of digital means has extended our work span also in hours that were dedicated to relax and recharge. And sometimes you, you receive contacts from work, even in weekends or after 8 p.m. And so you never have the chance to recharge and you're become, you think you're more productive, but in fact, you are less <laughs> because you didn't recharge. And so this is something that it's really important. Uh, and I notice it in myself as well, because sometimes I don't know until I am so without batteries anymore. And then I realize, oh, I should have stopped yeah. <laughs> and recharged. <laughs> so this is something to, that we need to learn. <laughs> and about what you said about social media, I totally agree, because the internet, when I started being an activist, is completely different from what is now. <laughs> yeah. And also young people, are exposed in their youngest age to such a pressure that we didn't have. I, uh, and so uh, it's very important also to educate ourselves about the good use of social medias because sometimes they are so toxic yeah. <laughs> and can do harm, especially to the younger. Um, if we think about bullying, when we were young, uh, bullying stopped in the class or outside the classroom once you yeah. were home. But now with the WhatsApp and our TikTok and other means, you are always reachable and the message is 24 hour and can be online for months and, ye and years. And yeah. so this is something and also boundaries about what to share with whom and how and the pictures and also 
that sometimes we show our best online and for young people seeing these models these examples can be really um, harmful for their health and so putting more pressure um, about meeting standards that are not real and so also the emotions and yeah so i totally agree with what you said about education in schools and also uh, this this side of social media that can be powerful tools but sometimes mm -hmm. we need to learn how to set some boundaries yeah uh, for the use of that uh, absolutely and, and it's interesting when you mentioned about the mobile phone because at, at times i think the mobile phone was quite possibly the best invention but also equally the worst invention because and p particularly email because nowadays, particularly in the work sector, you can be sent an email at any given time of day. It, it, it can be 6 in the morning, it can be 10pm at night, it can be over weekends. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely agree that boundaries need to be put in place. Um, and also mental well-being within the workplace needs to be improved and perhaps now people have got used to having the work-life balance of working from home and then going into the office that the employees now might be more vocal in that some of the positives from COVID were that you could work from home, you could spend more time with the family, but you could also have the option of going into the office and that you didn't have to go into the office every day and you would have to go through the same old commute. And when you get to work, your stress levels are already through the roof because you've had to go on a dreadful yeah. commute nine times out of ten. So hopefully employers will be more willing to consider flexible working from home, working from the office, work-life work, work life balance now? Yes, and also respecting their free time, which is yeah. not a luxury, but it's an, a human need. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I know in our previous conversation, you mentioned about a cultural revolution um, in regards to mental health. How do you see that? How do you envisage that happening regarding mental health? I have experienced in these uh, last years um, lots of positive uh, um, outcomes that weren't in the year while I was a young woman. Yeah. Um, so an example is the Instagram um, series by uh, Lily Cornell Silver, the daughter of Chris Cornell, um, and she makes uh, interesting uh, video interviews with people from various uh, backgrounds uh, regarding uh, 
mental health stigma and how to promote well-being and she's very very young and uh, it, it's very inspiring to see how the younger generation in the 20s are more and more and more aware about the importance of mental health we we weren't al allowed to think because there was no words for that uh, <laughs> when, when i was in my 20s really uh, we we couldn't speak about we didn't even know anxiety um post-traumatic stress disorder were not in our vocabulary so, <laughs> and so i see that how they are so passionate and willing to to be um, working for this change uh, and also seeing how um, more and more people from the music industry um, uh, are sensitive, uh, mainly due to the fact that they lost uh, many talented people to suicide, like Linkin Park uh, frontman, yeah. and uh, as I said, Chris Cornell and many others. And so they are aware how important it is uh, to to make this cultural revolution and i think that uh, starting from music and cinema uh, who are um, powerful tools to 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 reach people every in every corner of the world uh, and also the fact that the champions from these uh, sectors are more listened to than than we can be <laughs> so if Lady Gaga says something to tackle mental stigma, she can reach millions of people. It's so huge how the impact she, that she can have. But if you think also about uh, Bruce Springsteen, um, in his biography, he spoke about uh, dealing with a father who had some mental health problems himself and how Springsteen himself had challenges uh, and so it's really this this can really help people uh, feel closer to our human um, humanity because it's something yeah. like um, we were raised thinking that we the same against the the mentally health uh, mentally ill people but it's not this I don't see any separation we are all humans yeah so these people can really help uh, making the message more powerful and universal um, and this is one of the examples but also the the power of storytelling uh, um, and having more stories written by a person with lived experience uh, i recently saw uh, on um, on a streaming platform a very good uh, series uh, undone i don't know if you had the chance to watch it i was very very uh, positively um, struck by this series because it's um, it's so good and it deals with mental health issues as well and the author is kate purdy uh, the script writer of Bojack Horseman series, and she uh, used her own experience um, with the grandmother having schizophrenia and her own challenges with mental health problems, but in a way that is so refreshing and so deep. Uh, so I see this like some ways about how to create this cultural revolution. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly something that needs to happen. Um, and Chris Cornell, that was the guy who did the Casino Royale theme tune, didn't he? The soundtrack for the the reboot of the James Bond franchise. Um, yeah, I I, I must say I, I was very touched when I heard that he had passed away because it was no age. Um, it really he he was very young, from what I can recall. But finally, I always like to end on a light-hearted question. And that question is, what would your dream job be and why? This is a complicated question. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I, um, essentially, I am a creative person. Uh, so my thought is that I would do my best by having the chance to uh, work creatively as a writer uh, and also as a leader coordinator of a creative team uh, developing multimedia contents like films, documentaries, novels, comic books, uh, radio programs, uh, and creating also campaigns and products aimed at eradicating stigma. Um, because I, I'm fascinated by uh, the unexplored possibilities we still have uh, that we can apply to, to our wish. I think that we share the same wish, Steve, the fact to make the world a better place. Yes. Uh, but, and our motto as NGO is changing uh, the world one person at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you really have a feeling of how uh, even being small, you can have an impact. Think about a mosquito uh, when you are trying yeah. to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes you feel small and you think, "No, I will never manage to to fulfill my my dream." But step by step, um, sometimes also I I have to learn to celebrate uh, the accomplishments because sometimes. Uh, I I go and watch the top of the mountain, but I forget to look ahead and say, wow, I started from there, so I should just now uh, celebrate also. Yeah. <laughs> and also um, growing the strength to, to go on despite the bad days, because there are bad days also, yeah. <laughs> and accepting them. But sometimes this is a challenge that we learn um, by experience absolutely yeah um and that is a great motto for your ngo because that is exactly how the world will change by one person at a time um it's the only way really and it's been a pleasure and a delight to have you on as a guest i'm sure the listeners will have found this episode insightful so thanks for agreeing to be part of the podcast stephanie it's been great you're welcome and thank you because i really love to be connected internationally and 
have more people join our family of uh, change agents. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes today's episode with Stephanie discussing mental health within Italy. Please feel free to leave a review if you enjoyed today's episode and also like and follow the Legal Wolf Instagram and LinkedIn pages to stay right up to date with the latest content. Thank you.